week, another podcast. Welcome or welcome back, and thanks for listening to some nerds talk about something they're passionate in. This week, Reflections on Gaming tackles a fairly controversial topic in regards to a game that garnered quite the attention in 2020. We're of course referring to The Last of Us Part 2. Both Weston and I completed both the first and second game of The Last of Us recently, and we thought it was finally time to start talking about it. However, rather than simply stating whether we believe the game is good or bad, whether it warranted the acclaim or the derision, or simply reviewing the game, we want to look at the game in a broader sense. Uh, We really want to discuss all of these things in the concept, I'm sorry, in the context of its initial reception versus it now being the record holder for most Game of the Year awards of a single game in a year. I'm Jordan. And I'm Weston. And we're Reflections on Gaming, in case you missed that. Now, if any of you are longtime listeners or even recent listeners who started from the beginning of our catalog, you might remember that we've talked about this before. We talked about The Last of Us Part Two in our very first podcast, but we were oh so spry and naive, and I hadn't even played the game yet. So It was before the game even came out. That's right. That's right. We were just talking about some of the initial outcry for it, and we're like, I haven't seen anything. I don't know if it's going to be amazing or if it's going to be terrible, but we were going to hold our official opinions until we had played the game, and the time is now. Yes, finally, we've both played it. I've played it a couple of times. I think Jordan's probably played it at least a little more than once, but in any case, we finally we finally just want to get down and talk about it, and with that in mind, disclaimer really quick, if you haven't played The Last of Us Part Two and you want to, and you don't want to be spoiled... Run. Go go away. We will be talking about spoilers. This is not... We're not holding anything back in this podcast. We're going to be talking about everything about the game, from story to game mechanics to just everything that you can possibly think of getting spoiled, we may talk about. And if you aren't sure whether you are worried about spoilers or not, if you have a desire to play the game... You do not want to know anything about it going into it. Just, you want to go into this fresh, because that is the optimal way to experience what we believe Naughty Dog was going for, uh, which is a narrative experience. Right. So, let's start by just talking about The Last of Us 2's reception. Uh, from, like Jordan mentioned in the intro, from the beginning... With a Metacritic score of bad, I don't know what it is exactly, but it was truly abysmal, to winning Game of the Year awards, not only by critics and by independent panels, but by the people's choice voting for the game. Like, how did we, how did we go from there to here, and has anything, did things change, or were our perceptions just wrong? Right, and and I think it's important to kind of emphasize how poorly this game was received in the beginning. If you were part of kind of the conversation, you know that there were Reddit threads, there were news articles, there was zero after zero after zero on Metacritic. There were so many things where it seemed like everyone and anyone talking about the game, aside from the official journalists, Uh, were saying that it was a terrible game 
and that there was nothing redeemable about it. Uh, I even saw a number of people on YouTube seem to unironically say that the game didn't even look good, uh, which seems empirically that's ridiculous that's wrong completely wrong but i mean it's just it was one of those situations where it seemed like we lived in some kind of weird pocket dimension because every one of the you know quote unquote real journalists were saying that this game was amazing and had no flaws and then everyone else all the smaller people were saying no this game is terrible and there was this conspiracy theory, and I say it's conspiracy theory because I don't believe it, uh, even though there is probably a certain amount of truthfulness to it, uh, in that none of the big AAA uh, game reviewers were willing to give it a low score because they were afraid of backlash. They were afraid that, oh, if we do this poorly, Naughty Dog or maybe even Sony won't offer us review codes in the future, and that's going to bomb our site. Uh, I've seen plenty of AAA games get absolutely destroyed from bigger publishers than Naughty Dog. So I think that's bullcrap. But it was a prevailing theory, and it seemed like that might be true considering everyone outside of the journalist sphere seemed to be saying that it was terrible. Uh, and quick disclaimer, I don't think that any quote-unquote official journalists are any more credible or better than anyone else. Uh, they're just easier to come across and tend to have, in general, depending on where you're going, tend to have a more consistent voice in what they are saying. Of course, that's not always true, and there's always different reviewers every here and there. Uh, and you always get those reviewers that they know how to write well, maybe, but they don't know how to play games, and that skews their scores and whatnot. But in general, if you have someone that you like to listen to, more power to you. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Yeah, I think just as a tangent to that, game journalism, game journalism is still journalism, and you're always going to have... You should look at multiple different reviews to kind of get a, a good idea of, okay, what does this game actually have, and what is... Something that only, you know, some reviewers will mention things that, like, no others do because that mattered to them and, and stood out to them. And I think, and that's the same for us, we're going to talk about things that stood out to us that maybe didn't stand out to anybody else and maybe nobody else really cared about. But, yeah, it's it's just important to look at, you know, you can't, even as we're talking about this, you can't discard the people that are like, zero, this game is garbage. This game sucks. It has an agenda that it's trying to push on me. It and everything else that goes with that. Um, you can discount a lot of that, uh, and you can kind of cross-reference it and and compare it to other people's reviews. But in in reality, all of those reviews from the zeros to the ten out of tens are going to have truth in them and exaggeration in them and things that are just neither that are just up for opinion that don't you can't nail down exactly oh this is good this is bad this is meh so yeah and i think it's important to recognize that while personally you are going to like or dislike something uh it's important to keep things objective and i said that objectively i think that the last of us 2's graphics are amazing and i think that's true i think empirically you can look at the last of us 2 
the art design, uh, the shaders, everything that they've done compared to other games, and it is evident that the graphics are fantastic. Now, just about every other piece of that game is going to be subjectively good or bad. There's some empirical evidence as to how things function, but whether you like it or not is up to you. So we're not here to tell you The Last of Us 2 is the best game ever or The Last of Us 2 is the worst game ever. We're here to tell you what we think about it and why we think certain things happened surrounding it. And I think what you just said is really good leading into into why this happened. Because if you look at the art style, yes, empirically, it is good. It is It makes great use of the PS4's capabilities. It's an end-of-the-generation title that just looks amazing. But you cannot like it. That's fine. Sure, whatever. I don't really get that. I don't like If somebody said, I don't like how that game looks, I'd be like, okay, you don't like realistic art styles. That's fine. But when you look at these reviews that, like Jordan said, when you try to approach them objectively, a lot of that, I don't like this, instead of saying, I didn't like that they did this, they said, this is bad. And that led to a super negative initial reception, and there were so many things that they said, uh, this is bad, this is a bad game, and this is bad, instead of, I don't like this game because I don't like this, even if it's not objectively bad well and let's let's nail down exactly what we want to say here right now we want to talk about the negative initial reception uh and we ascribe that specifically to a very vocal minority of players and we say that and we have confidence in that because it won several people's choice awards for game of the year uh, now, perhaps you can say that, oh, those are all fake and it doesn't really matter, and that's fine if you believe that. Uh, I guess there's nothing that we can trust ever, because if if you can't trust something as simple as that, that no one earns money for, then what can you trust? Yeah. Um, so, getting back to it, uh, there was obviously a very adamant number of people that did not like the game and felt that they needed to make their voices heard. But that continued and ballooned for several months, and I ascribe that to two things. One, mob mentality. People are easily taken in, and I did not speak with, but I communicated with a number of people who said, I would never even play this game because of how terrible it is. And it's like... What are what? you basing that off of? <laughs> like, how can you possibly make... I mean, to be fair, we do that with, with reviews oftentimes. We'll see what someone says and be like, oh, I'm not going to play that because it looks bad. But when you have so much turmoil around a game, it's hard to justify that outlook, especially when there's so many people who say, no, this is actually amazing. So mob mentality. Uh, two, people who just like to be contrary you know lots of internet trolls and whatnot and as soon as they see that they can get on this bandwagon they're going to and they're like oh i can screw some with somebody and i can you know say this that and the other thing i'm gonna do it because if i can make someone have a bad day oh that's a good day for me those people are scum if you feel good because you make someone else feel bad you are a bad person i don't care who you are or who they are that's a bad thing to feel Sorry, tangent. <laughs> I, well, I just think it's fascinating that, you know, we're talking about these things that happened, but it's not like they've stopped. They've just become... Muted? 
yeah, like, you know, you can't really take them seriously anymore after all the game awards and is like, ugh, nobody liked this game. Like, well, that's obviously not true. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's fading to the background, but if you go to, like, The Last of Us, The Last of Us 2 subreddit is just a hellhole, but The Last of Us Part 2 subreddit, which are two different things, um, you know, you get a little bit of back and forth, and it's a lot less there, but it still exists, and, and I'm... Right. And, and, and I'm surprised, because every time they bring up their arguments, I'm, I look through them, and I'm just like, okay, again, these are all just opinions which is it, it's okay to express your opinion but but it's like you shouldn't like this because i didn't is is weird it is weird it's weird um anyway the the third thing uh is that it is a a self-perpetuating machine um it's something that i i noticed when i started seeing jimmy fallon's mean tweet thing that he did maybe he still does i don't really follow him but it blew up a while ago where he would have celebrities read out mean tweets that people tweeted at those celebrities. Uh, And it got a lot of fanfare. It was very popular. And I thought to myself, you know, there's probably a very significant number of people who began insulting celebrities directly after this first thing happened because they're like, my voice can be heard. My tweet can be read by a celebrity if it is mean enough slash funny enough, and it'll be featured on Jimmy Fallon. And it's the same, I believe, and this is more of a, it's what I seem to notice as opposed to it being empirically true. Um, I seem to notice a trend that a lot of smaller, lesser known, unknown YouTubers started coming out of the woodwork and being like, The Last of Us 2 is terrible and here's why. And it's because the YouTube algorithm at the time, so many people were looking into The Last of Us, specifically looking for why the game was bad, that if you made a video about it and it was halfway decent, you could get millions of views. Uh, I was inundated with video after video after video of The Last of Us 2 is terrible. Uh, And so it was literally people made money off of that. As opposed to, you know, which which I think is funny because people were saying, oh, real journalists, you know, can't say that it's bad because then they'll get blacklisted. It's like, well, a real journalist will get paid by the quality of the article, regardless of if they burn a bridge here or there, as long as it's a reputable site. Whereas if you are a, you know, kind of a lower tier YouTuber, your next meal might come from your next big hit video. You need to make sure people are seeing it. So I think the argument is much stronger the other way. However, that is my opinion. I have not done research on this. It just seems to me it, it makes a little bit more logical sense that bigger industries can make more risks than smaller independent people. So saying that the bigger people can't say no, but the little people can is a bit counterintuitive. Well, it's, it goes even further than that because a big corporation will lose credibility if they just lie and slant like like yeah if they lie in an if in an attempt to be like oh we want to keep getting free review keys two days early like no no that's silly that's ridiculous they get if they stop getting viewership because they're like oh all their reviews are crap like 
no, that doesn't make any sense. And you're right. It's it's much more likely that it was going the other the other way, and that people are jumping on the bandwagon of, of negativity for for increased exposure. All right. So we've mostly been talking about kind of the zeitgeist surrounding the game. Let's get into the actual game itself and discuss why there are some legitimate criticisms uh, and why some people legitimately do not like it uh, and whether we agree or disagree with those assertions. Yeah, and again, now is the time, once again, warning, we will be getting the spoiler territory. This is the time where we are going to spoil very significant moments all throughout the game right now. Uh, Right now. So if you don't want to know any more, turn off the podcast, buy the game, play the game, and then come back. Yeah. So, I was going to say, you know, a fourth thing, the the fourth reason people it exploded online negatively is because a lot of people legitimately actually hated the things they did with the story in The Last of Us 2, which is fair. Which it, it is allowed fair. To, you're allowed to dislike it. It is a difficult story to appreciate. It is it is a story that it is very despairing. It is the kind of story that if you don't go into it with the right mindset, it will break you down. Especially if you enjoyed the first game and were attached to the characters. Because this second game destroys all of them. Every single one. And it's kind of interesting. The reasons that people cite for them hating this game are all the reasons that I personally... not Well, not all the reasons, but the story reasons that people cited were the reasons that I loved this game and I thought it was very faithful to what Naughty Dog was trying to do with the first game. Um, very 30-second recap. You play the first game as Joel for 80% of the time and you have a very small period during the winter uh, section of that game where you play as Ellie because Joel is out of commission with a really bad infection. Okay. And puncture wound. <laughs> yeah. For an infection in the puncture wound. Anyway, you finish that game playing as Joel, saving Ellie from the Fireflies, and then also killing uh, not all the Fireflies, but this hospital full of Fireflies. You kill a lot of them. Um, and you kill a doctor who is about to operate on Ellie. You get you move to Jackson. Ellie asks what happened. Joel says, "Oh, there was no cure." Or there, are, I think he says there there is no cure. Right? He says there's plenty of kids just right. like you. There's plenty of kids just like and you. It doesn't matter. They can't uh, engineer a cure from you. So right. we just left. Right. Like there was nothing to do. The Last of Us Two, Part so, Two, Part Two. So you get very attached to Joel in Part One. You see him in The Last of Us Part Two. You get to play as him. You start the game playing as Joel, and it sets this tone of like, okay, great, this is familiar. I get to play as Joel again. It opens with him admitting to Tommy what he did to the Fireflies, and Tommy's like, well, that's that's heavy. And he goes back. You meet up with Ellie. He plays a little song for her, Future Days by Pearl Jam. And then you have a time skip, and you're playing as Ellie. And as far as you know, you get a little bit of background and things happen, you play as Ellie, you get introduced to this new character, Abby, and from the very beginning, I was like, cool, I wonder where this is going to go, Abby's pretty cool, 
I don't immediately hate her for no reason. I think this is interesting. Um, and just right off the bat, I need to talk about this. One of the main complaints that I saw was people saying, Ugh, I didn't want to play as Abby, even from the very beginning, because I don't know who she is. I don't have any connection with her. I want to play as Joel, and I want to play as Ellie. That is a, that is a stupid thing to say. Yeah, I'm like, what? Have sorry, you ever seen a sorry, sequel before? Sorry if you felt that way, but it's dumb to be like, how dare you introduce a new character and make me play as them? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. You want me to play a game from a franchise I'm not accustomed to? I don't know who those people are. I don't know what the story's going to be about. Why in the world would I play that? What? You dense. What? It's like, why would I want to watch Guardians what? of the... Why would I want to watch Guardians of the Galaxy when all the Avengers are on Earth? It's like, hello? It's going to tie into the bigger story and it's really important. Hello? Like, the Avengers are still important. You're still going to get a lot of screen time with them. But they're and you not might, it. And you might love the Guardians of the Galaxy, which people do. Exactly. So. Uh, anyway, but at the same time, the Guardians of the Galaxy didn't go in and slaughter all the Avengers. So <laughs> there is that. Uh, whereas Abby... They did try. True, they did in fact try. <laughs> well, in any case, Abby, Abby, you find out Abby has a vendetta against Joel, she kills him very... And not just kills him, but, like... She beats him to death yeah, with a golf club. she kills him. And that is the moment when all of the Zero reviews happened. <laughs> that is, well, not all of them, but at least, like, 80% of them. That is the moment that Syed is like, ugh, they brought in this, this girl we didn't know, we never met before, she kills the person that I wanted to play as, and now I'm playing as... Ellie for half the game, and then I have to play as Abby, ugh, who I, you know, despise, justifiably so, for the next half of the game. And I've been talking for a while, but I think we have similar views on this, so why don't you take up why this is, uh, why we like this, not necessarily how it was executed, but the idea of it. Uh, the idea is really interesting because the the whole point of The Last of Us series is just to tell a story. The story in the first one was about a man and a girl who bonded through trauma in this horrific, terrible world. Um, neither of them was an angel. Neither of them was a monster. They were just humans. And Joel made decisions throughout the game that were questionable. And so did Ellie. And so did everyone. Um, it, it never told you who was right and who was wrong, barring a couple of enemies. Um, it usually just presented them as, this is a hard world to live in, and this is how they make it through. I don't know, Jordan. I think the cannibal pedophiles might have had a point. There's only one cannibal pedophile. Uh, that the we rest, know of. <laughs> the, the, rest, <laughs> the rest reverted to cannibalism, but it wasn't like they were happy about it. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway... The second game is much the same, where it has a number of characters going through these things, and they are very human in their responses. They hate. They are angry. They grit their teeth. They don't think things through. They forget what matters, and it's because they're constantly on the brink of death, of annihilation, and that changes a person. Um, I'm not going to say... Like, I, I think one important thing is I do not believe the game is trying to sell something to me. The game isn't setting out to say, 
You should be a good person. You should be like this. Barring a few small examples, it is just telling a story. And it tries to be inclusive with certain mindsets in that story. But at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's just a story. And it's a devastating, heartbreaking story. But it feels to me, for the most part, to be fairly believable and relatable. These, you know, are, are people who are angry, blinded by emotions, but once their emotional story comes to an end, they're unsatisfied. And it's because in reality, what they have done, that is unsatisfying. Um, specifically, I'm referring to the fact that Abby kills Joel. She has been, for the past four years, working out, training, tracking doing absolutely everything she can to find joel she does and she beats him to death with her bare hands in a golf club but for the most part it's literally she didn't shoot him she didn't you know use tools she beat him to death in the most brutal fashion she could think of and then halfway through the game when you get to play as her she is continuing to have the same nightmare she had about her father's death she's not happy She's not satisfied. She feels nothing new. Her, she thought that killing Joel was going to liberate her from the hell she was living in, and it didn't. It made it worse. It made it worse. And it's because, in reality, people do not feel better by inflicting pain on others, barring some sociopaths. But in general... People are not healed by hurting other people. When it comes to um, people who are at trials um, of someone who has beaten, molested, murdered someone in their family, the people who manage to get back to life and feel happiness, and there have been studies about this, are the people who choose to forgive and forget. They're not saying, hey, you can go free and do whatever you want. They say, no, you need to be in jail. This is a bad thing. But I am not going to hate you for the rest of my life because that can do nothing but hurt me and hurt you. So instead, I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to move on with my life. Confront this and move on. And that is a major theme of The Last of Us Part Two, which a lot of people hated. They hated the fact that Ellie spent the entire game seeking to get revenge on Abby, failed, then went again, almost beat her to death, and when she had the upper hand, drowning her in the ocean, she let go and said, just leave. And a lot of people hated that conclusion. Because they're like, what, that's the end? Abby just gets away? And it's like, Abby didn't get away. Abby and Ellie are the same character at this point. They are both women who have lost everything. And to continue wallowing in sorrow and anger isn't going to fix anything. So Ellie decided, I'm going to try something new. I'm I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you in such a manner that, like, here's... A buddy, candy buddy, bar. come back to Jackson with me. But No, but it's like I, I can't continue living my life hating you and destroying my world and my life because of it. 
and this and this theme goes even beyond just Abby and Ellie, right? Because we also see the wolves versus the Seraphites for the majority of the game, and we never get a strong idea of like. The Seraphites don't like the wolves because the Seraphites are following their leader, and the leader didn't like the wolves, and, you know, they just have these religious beliefs of, like, we need to be separate from the world, and we only need to use old world old world technology in the war effort against the wolves because the wolves are trying to kill us. And the wolves are like, the Seraphites are nut jobs living on this island, and they keep killing us, and we had this truce, and they broke the truce, so we broke the truce right back. It is the same story. It is the same story of cyclical violence um, leading to everybody dying. The end of Abby's story is you rowing away from an island literally on fire with Seraphites and wolves getting hacked to pieces on the docks. Like, hello, metaphor for Abby's life right there, and, and Ellie's at this point. And it's so ironic because... Ellie then goes to Santa Barbara, sees a rattler symbol on the side of a van, and writes down a note that says, Wolves, Scars, Rattlers, and because it's a family-friendly podcast, screw all these groups. Relatively family-friendly. Um, and it's just ironic, because she might not be with a group hunting down the group that Abby is with, but she sure as heck is just acting... Like a one-man group against another, well, one-woman group against another one-woman group, uh, excluding Lev. Um, I, I just, and finally, finally, at the end, she finally understands, or at least maybe doesn't fully understand, but recognizes, like, ugh, this is never going to end, this is cyclical, and this isn't actually going to make me feel better. Like, my, my horrible PTSD is not going to go away just because I kill this girl. That kid in the boat is probably just going to die without her. I don't know if she was thinking that, but it's certainly true anyway. Well, I mean, the the real sticking point for me is people, I, I don't believe they understood the last flashback she had before she let Abby go. Because the last flashback she has, uh, correct me if I'm misremembering this, is her telling Joel... I can't forgive you, but I can try to forgive you. That's after. That is right after you finish that cutscene. It snaps to that before Ellie goes back to the farm. But same diff. No, but then what's the one that happens right... Because she has a flashback right before she lets go of her. She has... She just has flashes of flashbacks. She doesn't have... There's no sequence. That whole thing happens at once. She f sees Joel's face... Um, beaten okay. on the ground. Then, then I think I then I think I get um, what th the connection that I made was essentially that flashback is what she was seeing, but they didn't want to have the full flashback, uh, cutting it cutting it up, mm -hmm. uh, and essentially her relationship with Joel went down the toilet um, because she from the very beginning didn't really believe his story. And, I mean, because it doesn't make much sense. She wakes up in a, you know... Um, car driving away. In a car driving away in a medical gown. And she's like, what happened? And they're like, oh, it was no big deal. They've got plenty of people just like you. And it's like, well, why couldn't I have talked to them? <laughs> Marlene didn't want to see you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's some weird thing. So she keeps pushing and asking about it until she finally goes off on her own and finds a voice recording that talks about what Joel did. And she says... I'm done with you. 
I'll live in Jackson because it's a good place and, and whatnot, but you and I are through. Don't ever talk to me. Don't touch me. Done. Then that flashback is to the night before Joel died. He defended her because of some homophobia uh, that was present in the group. And she was pissed initially because she's like, you don't have the right to act like my father anymore. You don't have the right to defend me, to do anything. You were nothing to me. But then she talks to him and says, I, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know if I can ever forgive you for what you did because I feel like I should have died. I was ready to die. And now that's been taken away from me by you. But... I want to see if we can somehow reconcile. I want to see if I can forgive you because continuing to live the way I have been in this hatred, it's just making my life miserable. It's making me miserable to be around and I want to get away from it. And so when she remembers that, she's like, this is Joel all over again. I'm killing Joel with my bare hands because I can't let go of this. And so she decided to do exactly what she told Joel, which is trying to move on and forgive and live her life. Uh, and while the final scene of the game is Ellie in the farm with everything gone and her stuff in a box in a room, unable to play the guitar, which was really the last thing that connected her to Joel, because that's who taught her. While it is devastating, I... I personally believe that it is an ending of hope because while she has gone down to nothing, she's decided to start rebuilding instead of continuing to tear things down. Uh, I think we've gotten a little too into the weeds right here. Uh, the well, main point we're trying to get at is that this is a very dark game, very difficult to get through. And I'm not going to say that only intelligent people get it, because that's stupid. But I will say that a lot of people will not appreciate it because they just straight up don't like it. Yeah, I think the thing that... And the reason I kind of wanted to get this specific with the plot and, and our feelings about it is because those are the things that most of the negative reviews focused on, was the story. They hated that Joel died, and you played as Abby, who was the one who killed him, they hated that Abby's companion was transgender, Lev. But all of those things I liked, and they were they were story-focused. They told the story. They weren't there for no reason. They were there to push the story forward and get the message across. The things that didn't come up in the negative reviews were some of the like legitimate, actual problems with the game that do exist. Are, like... Undeniably, the, the the things that I had an issue with that were just that they sucked some of the fun out of the game were things that almost no one talked about. Uh, there was a couple of things here or there uh, that, that people kind of brought up, but it was never a sticking point, which I think is funny. Um, one of the the major things that I personally didn't like was um, the the boss fight near the end of the game where you play as Abby and you fight against Ellie. Now, the reason I didn't like this is because while I no longer had as much hatred for Abby, I had no hatred against Ellie. 
I did not want to fight her. I knew she was in the wrong, but it's not like anyone else was in the right. Everyone was wrong. Everyone is terrible. So telling me right after all this trauma and, and whatnot that I have to play as Abby and beat near to death Ellie in a relatively difficult boss fight, it I did not think it was a good idea. Uh, and I did not enjoy it. I imagine that there are some people who did enjoy it and, and perhaps they understand more of what the point was, but I, I felt like they needed to show that event happen and they wanted you to play through it. And it didn't make sense to play as Ellie because she loses. And so they're like, we don't want to do that game trope of you win the boss fight but then lose in a cutscene. Fine, but I honestly would have been more forgiving of that than playing as Abby beating up Ellie because I like Ellie better. I've had more time to get along with her. I just like her demeanor better. And I also liked her gameplay a little bit better. Uh, Ellie and Abby play quite differently. Ellie plays like she did in the first game, uh, much more stealthily. And Abby plays a lot more like Joel. Very brutal, very visceral, not a lot of uh, stealth options in comparison to Ellie. So I would have preferred to play that as Ellie. Uh, but, you know, the the whole scene is very difficult to play through because it's obvious that these are two hurt, broken people fighting each other after already being at their wit and physical end. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a devastating moment, but I really didn't like the way that it was done. Uh, I didn't mind it. I think for both that fight and the very last fight... I would have preferred, I realize, I think there are lots of reasons they chose not to do it this way. Um, I think it would have been difficult to follow, especially if you had walked away from the game a little bit, because the campaigns for both Ellie and Abby are quite long, and you go a very long time without playing as Ellie. But I would have liked, in this fight, to switch between who I'm playing as and end with Abby, who wins, and to play as both Ellie and Abby during the final fight, but end with Ellie, who wins. The reason I feel this way is because I think that would have driven home the point of, like, there is nobody in the right here. They're just both fighting each other to survive because of things they have both done. You get to play as both of them. You get to empathize with both of them. And in both cases, you get to fight for your life against somebody that you've grown to appreciate, presumably. Um... I would have. I think that would have been the best for me. But again, I understand why they didn't do it that way. Because like switching back to Ellie after, you know, possibly a week of two weeks of not playing as her could have been like, oh crap, I don't remember anything about what she has. And but I just, I I agree that the fight wasn't executed the right way. But I don't think I would have hated it any any way they did it. I just would have preferred to play as both of them. Yeah, I think uh, aside from that, there's only two other smaller issues that I had. Um, one is that they had this idea of tribalism, uh, and they were trying to show that it's wrong because there are no people who are just inherently bad. Uh, you know, they humanize everyone in Jackson, they humanize Ellie and her companions, then they humanize Abby and her companions, humanize the wolves, and they try to humanize the Seraphites, but not very well. Uh, and they don't 
give them nearly enough time, and they also make them really easily hateable. First of all, they're religious zealots, which in this day and age are already very much frowned upon. Uh, and whether that's deserving or not doesn't matter. It's just it's part of our current atmosphere. People don't like religious people, especially if religious people are homophobic, militant, militant, about militant it. Yeah. anything like that, uh, which the Seraphites are. And they're also, you know, putting in this transgender girl. Uh, or I guess boy. I don't know which one you say. Boy. Um, yep. And uh, and everyone in there is like, oh, you're not allowed to be that way. And it's not like anyone outside of Abbey is okay with it. But they really focus on the fact that the Seraphites are not okay with it. So that's an issue, uh, is that they're trying to say this tribalism is bad. Oh, except for religious zealots. They can all die, because that's bad. It's like... You're kind of undercutting yourself there. That's true. The Seraphites are definitely portrayed in a negative light, except for the ones that leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I also thought that the pacing was a little poor. Uh, I, I think that the game took too long. Um, I really wanted to get to the story segment sometimes. And, you know, you, you rarely think to yourself, like, I want less from a game. But it's not that I want less. I want more focus on what the game is, the the core of the game. Uh, and it just took so long, especially because I played, um, you know, kind of the way I feel like the game is pushing you, which is slow, stealthy, foraging for everything to keep yourself alive. It takes a long time to get through the game. Yeah, if you're playing on a higher difficulty, that's not just the game pushing you. You have to. You will be screwed if you don't do it like that. Um I just, this last week and a half, I went back because, um, I guess, skipping to my opinion really quick, I love this game. Uh, I think it's fantastic. It's really fun. So I wanted to go back and get the Platinum Trophy because I didn't get all the trading cards. I didn't get all the coins. Uh, I didn't get all the artifacts, uh, letters, and, and stuff. So I went back to, to Platinum it. My first playthrough took me 24 hours. Um... Which isn't that long, but it's a really long time to be sneaking around in the grass. It's it's not a long, it's not considered long for an open world or an RPG game, but a stealth action third or, person or third person shooter yeah. that is like two to three times the length that most games of that genre tend to be. Right, and so when I went back for the platinum, I turned on infinite ammo, infinite crafting, infinite listen mode, slowed a uh, bullet time for every time I was aiming my gun or throwing projectiles. Um, and that pretty much just allowed me to be like, screw stealth, I'm going to go into this field and shoot everybody in the head before they even know I'm here. And even doing that, it took me probably eight hours to beat this game. Like, the normal <laughs> amount of time that a third-person shooter is. And most of that time is just shooting people. It's just sneaking around and shooting people. There's a bit of looting. There's a very small amount of puzzle solving but most of it is combat um and granted the combat mechanics and and all that stuff the actual gameplay is excellent it's very highly polished it's a lot of fun there's a lot of little details but even the most fun things when pushed to their limit oh time and time and time and time and time again can become demoralizing and boring yeah especially because one of the 
biggest reasons for that, in, in my opinion, is that there's, despite it being such a long game and so many combat sections, there isn't that much variety in enemy. There's three different types of normal infected, and one type of infected that, or two, two technically, two types of infected that are bosses that you only see, uh, I think, four times through the entire game. And there are people who either have melee or projectiles. It doesn't really matter if they're using a bow or a rifle or a pistol because they're shooting you and you'll get shot. Like, there's not a whole lot of variety in how the combat actually takes place, especially when you're trying to conserve ammo and everybody you're just trying to get behind, grab them, put them down somewhere where you can't be seen and slit their throat or break their neck or something. Um, it just... They could have done with some more refinement and some more addition of some real puzzles. <laughs> and when I say real puzzle, I mean something a little more cerebrally challenging than just... Where do you throw the rope? Where do you throw the rope? And where and and where do I put this dumpster? Like, their engine is, is great. It has very nice physics for throwing things. And I think there could have been do more done with that that's not just... Especially if you had to solve a puzzle like under pressure while doing combat that would have been entertaining and interesting um anyway that... i think i think the main point is that while everything is good there is almost never a release of tension there's yeah. almost never a moment where you can take a breather and just kind of hang out and have a good time the one time in the game that you do get to do that which is the small open world section is fantastic uh because you can kind of tackle it at your own pace and there's just puzzle segments, and there's a couple of combat encounters that are difficult, but not crazy. Lots of secrets, lots of safes, lots of optional content. But after that, um, you really don't get much exploration. Really, you will go to one combat encounter, deal with it either by killing them all or sneaking through it, and then you'll have a reprieve of maybe five, ten seconds to get to the next area and immediately be beset upon by a new set of enemies. Uh, and it's just that over and over and over again. So it's high-tension gameplay constantly. Uh, and it could have done with a little bit more ebb and flow um, and, and much more relaxation between combat encounters so as not to exhaust the player. Yeah. And on top of that, on top of the pacing of just the gameplay in general... It's interesting to me, and I still am not sure how I feel about the way they executed Ellie and Abby's storylines. Because you play as Ellie in the well, you play as Joel in the very beginning, and then Ellie, and then Abby for a little bit, and then Ellie again, and then you keep playing as Ellie for three days of Seattle time, and approximately 10 to 12 hours you're playing as Ellie, and then for another 10 to 12 hours. You play as Abby for the three days of Seattle. You go through all the same... And it's a completely different story. You don't even see any of the... Well... There is see, no overlap. There's... there Aside is from some... Areas at the hospital, and that's basically it. Well, even then, you're not really in the same area. You're just area adjacent. Yeah. Um, And then... So you play as Abby until you beat the crap out of Ellie and almost kill Dina. And then you switch back to Ellie... Uh, at least, you know, eight months later at the farmhouse with Dina and you play as Ellie and, and then you play as Abby again for like 20 minutes 
and then you play as Ellie until the end of the game. And it's just, it almost would have, like, I understand why they did this, because they didn't want you to start empathizing with Abby as much as you do after playing her campaign while you were playing with Ellie. I don't know if that is necessarily what they wanted, but that's definitely what it does throughout the entire Ellie campaign. Um, you are like, yeah, I'm rooting for Ellie. She's really brutal, and maybe I don't like everything she's doing, but overall, I understand what she's doing, and yeah, Abby did a really bad thing. And then you play as Abby, and it's like, oh, man, I actually kind of like Abby. It's like, I get it. I get, I get all of these people's motivations, and that would have been kind of fun to do in a more gradual way that by the time you get to day three of Ellie, you're like, Ellie, stop. What are you Ellie, doing? Stop, please. And just like, Abby, no. Keep, ah. keep that in mind because I want to come back to that. But okay. let's get back on track. Um, there's just a couple of smaller things uh, that we want to talk about sure. as to why the game kind of has this decisive decisiveness to it uh, of – you know, people often say, oh, that's, you either love it or you hate it. Uh, in The Last of Us Part Two, at least online, you tend to see that very much so. Uh, and that's because it was critically acclaimed, but it is flawed. It is not a perfect game. Uh, personally, this is just my opinion. I don't think 10 out of 10s should be given by uh, game outlets to most games that have had a 10 out of 10 uh specifically because i think that 10 out of 10 tends to be used for like th this idea of it is a masterpiece it is perfect and there's no such thing as a perfect video game now i don't think that you can't give a game a 10 out of 10 but it needs to be by for a different criteria it's not that the game is flawless it's that the game does something that nothing else in the medium does. It's something that if you want to experience something that you cannot experience anywhere else, this is the game to experience that. Or something that's like genre-defining. Or genre-defining mm -hmm. or anything where it's like, we're not saying that this is perfect. We're just saying that if you have interest in such and such, or if you have interest in gaming as a whole and want to kind of enter into that speaking sphere... You need to play this because everyone's going to be talking about this. Everyone's going to be playing it. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Last of Us Part 2, I would put at probably an 8 out of 10. Because it's beautiful. The music is incredible. The writing is good. The acting is good. Animations are fantastic. I loved the story, even though it has its minor flaws, uh, mostly, in my opinion, structure, which is why I said we'll get back to that. Uh, and it's a little too long, in my opinion. It doesn't have the right snake flow graph. Um, but even with those small things, I do think it's a game that everyone should play. I do think it's a game that most everyone could appreciate. So while the flaws are significant enough that I wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10, I would give it an 8 out of 10, which I would say is a must-play, which if I ever rated games based on a scaling system, which I really don't, Five would be, this is a pretty good game. Not five is, this is unplayable dumpster fire. Yeah. One below or that two is, like, is an unplayable so. dumpster, fire. dumpster fire. It's true. Ratings are weird. Ratings are stupid. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's a big reason is a lot of people are like, you gave this a 10 out of 10, even though it's not perfect. How dare you? Zero out of 10. And it's like, you do realize that you're doing the exact same thing, right? 
you're giving it an incredibly low score in spite of the fact that it has many amazing, admirable attributes. Yeah. Irony is uh, lost on those kinds of people. Yeah. And so is logic. I think there are a lot of things. You know, we've talked about some flaws. One of the things that uh, gets talked about a little bit, but it kind of depends on the sphere you're in, is the incredible accessibility that The Last of Us 2 has. Their accessibility options range from changing the uh, color palettes for every type of uh, color blindness to sound cues to everything being narrated to uh, easing the game for people who struggle with difficult games because this is a, a quite difficult be. game. It yeah. can be a very difficult game. It can game. be a very difficult game. Um, the accessibility, it ha you can change the controls for basically everything you do from climbing ropes to driving boats um, to just the, the entire control scheme is adjustable. It's just incredible how many things they thought about and then, like, legitimately actually implemented in a usable way to make the game completable to the greatest extent of any game ever made. This this game has been completed more times by a higher percentage of people than any other game on the PlayStation 4 platform. Uh, I looked to see if I could see statistics on other platforms. Granted, I know that um, The Last of Us Part Two is a Sony exclusive, but I just wanted to see what kind of percentages or numbers I could see elsewhere. Um, Xbox and Steam do not track those numbers, so I couldn't get anything reliable. Um, but there is approximately a 60% completion rate for The Last of Us Part Two. So for every unique um, player ID for Sony, which you need to boot up your PlayStation... 60% of the people who started the game at all completed it. If this someone, is insane. If one if one person starts the game, they are more than likely going to finish the game, which is just a weird sentence. <laughs> right, and so it's one of those things where, uh, going back to, I do not believe that it got one game of the year... For nothing, I do not think that those statistics were were skewed or messed with, because people finished this game. A lot of people did. The general completion rate of games sits under thirty percent, uh, and that's just because some people don't have enough time. Some people play a lot of a game and then jump on to the next game. Some people have no interest in finishing a game and just want to play it for a little while for fun. There's lots and lots and lots of people who do not complete games. They play it for a while, have fun, and then move on to the next one. So, a higher than 30% completion rate is already a good thing to see, uh, because that's beating the average. Double that is ridiculous. The next game that comes close, the, the, high, the second highest completed game, uh, is currently Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, which sits at 53% completion which is also an incredible achievement and it's a fantastic game um but it just goes to show you that there is a large point spread between the last of us 2 and it everything else in terms of people completing it a big part of that is because of accessibility there is a there are lots and lots of people who are homebound because of medical uh issues in one way shape or form 
and those also contribute to not being able to finish games. But that's a lot of them, what their pastime is. They can't go out and work because they just don't have the capability, and there's nothing wrong with that. So they need something to do to keep themselves occupied. Watching TV and movies all day, not going to cut it. Even reading books. Books are fantastic, but you can't do that all day. So you mix it up. You play video games, but oh, you only have one hand, and uh, this game requires two for you to do everything. You want to remap the buttons so you can handle it? Sorry, this doesn't support it. Sucks for you. You get a you PC. Have, you have color blindness, <laughs> you know, and you can't see these things. Sorry, we didn't think about that, and you're just not going to be able to do this thing. You need sound cues. You need this. You need that. You need all these things that able-bodied people take for granted. And suddenly, these people who are invested in the game, who love this game, can't finish it. The Last of Us Part Two fixes that. There is a person who is fairly prominent on Twitch. Uh, he plays games, and he is 100% blind. He cannot see. But he makes an effort to play video games and show people kind of what he goes through. From start to finish, except for um, some help from some friends of his to... Uh, boot the game up. Boot, well, boot the game up and, and activate uh, the settings yeah. he needed to be able to hear the menus. Aside from, you know, let's say five minutes of game time setting things up for him, he said that he completed the entire game by himself without anyone giving him any advice or hints or help. By himself, a completely blind person managed to do this. That is incredible. And it is sad that more games cannot be completed like that because just because you have a disability doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to enjoy such a fantastic medium for I, entertainment. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to ask every major developer to start doing that. It would be awesome. I'm not saying don't do that. If you want to, great. But I really hope that this does offer more accessibility options and that people start to see this and expect these kinds of things in games. Not immediately. I That, that kind of thing is going to take a while, but this is a great example that I bet people will point to in the future of like, this is where accessibility to this extent started. This is the first game, the first major game to really have the developers put so much time and thought and money into making their game accessible accessibility for not literally everyone, but basically anyone. I mean, the the great thing is is that I do uh, I went to school for game design and development, uh, and I know what it takes to do a lot of the accessibility options that are available in The Last of Us Part Two. And by and large, um, probably more than half of the options that they have can be reused in other games moving forward uh, without any additional work. Um, things like shaders that allow you to highlight enemies and make it easier for people with poor eyesight or changing the color schemes or changing the control schemes or anything like that are things that can be reused. So hopefully uh, the, the sales numbers of this game show that yeah you can uh you should put some time and effort into considering these people who are not 100 percent being able to see or hear clearly or function the way that you would expect them to uh their money is just as good as anyone else's and they're willing to give it to you if you will let them enjoy something uh anyway so that's a big reason why it has been so successful um, and, and part of the reason why its sales continued to be strong months after its initial release, 
even though a lot of the internet naysayers said, oh, it's going to bomb. You know, it's initial opening. Everyone pre-ordered it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be terrible after that. I think for a good three or four months, it was the top game sold in the U.S. I um, don't doubt that at all. So I, I don't have the statistics on that. Statistics on that, we should look it up to to make sure. But it was, it it had a, a lot of money getting pumped into it. The next thing that we gonna uh, want to talk about a little bit as to why the game uh, had such a poor reception to begin with um, is because of how beloved the first game in the series was. Uh, anytime you have a game that is that well received. Nine times out of ten, you kind of see that the sequel is less well-received. You see this with Zelda Majora's Mask. Uh, Nowadays, it's touted as one of the best games ever, but when it first came out, a lot of people are like, this is not like, what are you doing? You rushed it out the door, and it's terrible, and it's not in Hyrule anymore, and blah, and this and that. So many, so many things. Sequels and always struggle to, to not compete. always, but most of the time, yeah. Especially when the game preceding it was so highly regarded, mm-hmm. people want the first game again. They want to feel exactly the way they did, and that's just not possible. So, but in addition to that, the first game had a lot of flaws in it. It had inconsistencies. It had issues. But at the time rather than being seen as issues, and this is not unique to The Last of Us. Um, It's just what happens when you don't have broader context. People crafted theories surrounding these issues. For example, the fireflies all throughout the game are supposed to be creating this cure for the entirety of mankind. So you'd think that they're really on top of things. Yet every time you're going to find where they are, they're dead or they're gone and it's because of poor management or stupid people doing stupid things or this that and the other thing and you start thinking well maybe joel was justified in killing them and saving ellie because in all likelihood they would have cracked her open like an egg killing her and not doing anything they also said hey and they keep saying it's a vaccine you can't vaccinate against a fungus and they're saying wait you're telling me that their first thought is to crack her head open like an egg and kill her harvesting it all, dooming mankind if they can't get the cure right away? And there's all these different things surrounding them, and people are justifying Joel in killing them. And the story is meant to be taken straight. The second game, part two, says no. You're all wrong. You're all wrong. <laughs> that is what we were trying to say. And those issues were just issues with our storytelling, not with the fireflies. And a lot of people don't like that. They're like, well, that's so t- stupid because it's not what I wanted. I wanted Joel to be the hero. I wanted Joel to continue because I got to like him so much. You're telling the story wrong, Naughty Dog. Yeah, and I th- what I think is really funny is a lot of people really attack Neil Druckmann specifically, uh, talking about self-inserting him into certain roles and doing this, that, or the other thing, and literally spitting on Joel. And it's like, guys, Neil Druckmann was the director of the first game as well. <laughs> like, he is part of the reason we have these characters to begin with. I don't think he was thinking about killing them and being like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to step on the cis white male. 
blah, 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 blah. Like so many people kind of politicize this to be. And I'm not saying that everyone who dislikes this game thought that way. I'm just saying that there was a lot of vitriol on the internet and a lot of people saying things like that and touting it as a respectable argument, and it is not. Yeah. I, The first game is just so beloved that nothing can even touch it, right? Including the people who made it, which is ironic and, and, and sad because it prevented so many people from doing these things. In any case... It is really interesting, kind of going back to talking about um, some of the more uh, substantiated problems with The Last of Us Part Two. One of them, and we've kind of covered this a little bit, is that it, it is very successful in making you really hate one of the main characters, Abby. You know, Joel saves her in the very beginning, and then she kills him. Cold blood. Because, you know, he killed her dad, so... But in any case... It's so successful that, again, by the time you get to playing as Abby, you still don't really want to because your entire time playing as Ellie has just been hammering in that that idea of, like, I need to find Abby, I need to kill Abby, all these people are garbage, the wolves are trying to kill me, they don't even know who we are, we just come in here and they start shooting at us for no reason. Like, obviously these are bad people doing bad things, and one of those bad people is Abby, and the bad thing she did was kill Jill. Jill, Joel, um, and it and by the time you're playing as Abby, you, the game has not pushed you and challenged you in any way, and prepared you to listen to the message of like, okay, but also Abby's a person and and has her own friends and motivations and is very and you know by the end of Abby's campaign is very kind and puts people above agenda. She puts. Lev over her her uh, relationship with the wolves, even though she doesn't even know that everybody that she knows is dead other than Manny, who she sees die. Like, the game just, it doesn't prepare you for that, and, and they were kind of asking for a lot of hate to be thrown their way because of that specifically. I mean, to me, the issue, some, some, of, the th- some of the issues are that uh, some of the supporting cast are not developed well enough. Um, both on Ellie and Abby's side, but Abby's side has an uphill battle to fight already with you not liking them because they killed a beloved character. Uh, You know, that's already difficult to overcome. Uh, And then on top of that, you hate Abby so much that it's like, why are you making me play as her? And it's obvious the game is trying to say, look, she's not evil. She's just a person, and we're not trying to justify what she did. We're trying to tell you that what she did is a bad thing. But we also want you to understand that she is not evil. She's not a monster just because she did it. She is a confused little girl, and she thinks this is what is going to fix it for her. I mean, a lot of people complained. This is a slight tangent. A lot of people complained about uh, Abby's physical domineering appearance, saying that it was unrealistic. Um there are women who look like that, so it's not like it's unobtainable. And during this outbreak where everything is kind of tough, obviously it would be harder to attain and maintain that physique, but they show that she eats well and has a literal gym right below her apartment where she would be able to get ripped like that. So it may be a bit far-fetched 
but I find it believable enough in the universe that we've been shown. Um, sorry, where was I going with this? What was I saying before? Uh, oh, I remember now. I was saying that Abby is a scared little girl, and I was talking about the right. fact that she's so ripped. And I said that, to me, seems very evident that she is trying to work out her issues, literally, by working out. And the reason she is as uh, jacked as she is is because that is literally her outlet uh, for all the fear and anger that she has. Uh, and, and so I think it's a little silly to dislike that physical appearance so much. But... Um, Anyway, it's just the game is incredibly successful at setting you up to dislike Abby, and then it doesn't do nearly a good enough job in making you like her. It does a good enough job, in my opinion, that I no longer hate her or think that she's a monster. I think she's a well-written character uh, with lots of nuances, and I would say that she is very similar to both Ellie and Joel. Um, but I still don't like any of her friends, especially not Manny. Uh, he's kind of a skeevy guy, and there's nothing about him that I liked. <laughs> the fact that he was nice to his grandpa is like, yeah, most everyone is nice to their grandparents. Big whoop. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it the, the game does have some issues, but I don't think any of them are egregious. Uh, and and story-wise, I think that the main purpose of the, the game, in my opinion, is they wanted to make a riveting, interesting story that said something compelling. And I think it did. Absolutely. I think I think they were very successful in ironically, I think the things that people complained the most about were what they were most successful in. And and they played a game where they I, I can't imagine like maybe they knew it was coming and maybe they were prepared for it. I'm not sure, but if not, maybe they should have been. Because they played a game where they made a game that surely, if you look at it as a whole, you understand why people were so upset by it and hated it so much. And yet at the same time, you also see that they accomplished exactly what they were trying to do. To make a fantastic game that's very fun to play, it's fun to watch the story unfold, it's also devastating <laughs> in every possible way. From the opening, from seeing Joel getting beat to death by a golf club, to watching Ellie hopelessly pluck at her guitar and hitting all the wrong notes because she's missing two fingers on her hand now. One finger. Two fingers. Two fingers? Two fingers. You could play the guitar with these. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Maybe some people can, but I couldn't. <laughs> uh, anyway, I uh, I think that the final point that we want to kind of end on is that we think a lot of people that dislike the game are miss missing the point of the game. A lot of people who dislike the game, and obviously there are people who dislike it for legitimate reasons, okay? When I reiterate, we are not talking about people who dislike it for very legitimate reasons. We're specifically talking about people who kind of fed into the feeding frenzy when it first came out of negativity. Uh, and people disliked the game because they're like, the game is so preachy. It's telling me that, oh, violence is bad and hatred is bad and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I mean, a little bit, yeah, but I don't know why that's a bad thing. Yeah, like, is that's that a bad true. message? Are you are you denying that that's true? But, but second of all, that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is not preaching to you. 
There's so many people I saw that talked about how the game was trying to make you feel bad for doing these dirty, evil things as Ellie. And they make you feel good because you're such a good person as Abby. And it's like, the game is not trying to judge your actions. Because it's not giving you any choice. The it's also game, not sentient, so... Yeah, the game is not telling you anything. Naughty Dog is not telling you anything. Naughty Dog, at most, is telling you Abby is so overcome by grief and anger that she is willing to torture and beat another person to death to get the answers she wants. And she's devastated by it afterwards, but she still does it. You can't choose not to because it's not your choice. You are not swinging the pipe. Ellie is. Ellie is the one being judged. Abby is the one being judged. They're both people, and they become awful, cynical, hateful people who begin to enjoy the bloodshed in spite of the absolute terror and horror that it also brings up in them. You know, near the, near the end of the game, Abby is going to slit the throat of a woman, and she learns, oh, she's pregnant, please don't do it, and she's like, good. It's not a good thing. But it's not you pressing a button to slit her throat. It's not you pressing a button to encourage Abby to kill Dana. No, it's a cutscene. The game is not interested in how you feel or how you think or what you're going to do. It's interested in the characters inside the game. And I just, it, I, I feel very strongly about the fact that people need to stop self-inserting themselves into stories and thinking, oh, this story is telling me I'm a bad person. No, it's not. <laughs> it's making a commentary about the characters. If you feel like you can relate with those characters, then maybe you are a bad person. Well, I th and, and at the end of the day, if you feel bad swinging the, you know, again, going to your example, swinging the pipe at Nora in the hospital, which you should, like, straight up, you should, Good. That means you have empathy. That means you you understand that the things that that torture is pretty jacked up. It's not a good way to get information ever for any reason by anybody. Like, yeah, no duh. Of course you feel bad, but it's not saying you're bad. You didn't have a again, like Jordan said, you didn't have a choice. You're just pressing the button to advance the story. It's just it's just like if you're watching a movie and you have to hit X to make it go, which would suck, but Games are special, and they make it work. It's good. You say that like that's not exactly what QuickTime events are. <laughs> oh. Anyway, and that and that everything Jordan said, I, I agree with. And, you know, if you don't, that's okay. And we'd love to hear about it. We would love to have a productive yeah, a conversation. Good, like a good discussion. We don't want to fight with people. And I know that we've said some strong things about specific ideas that people have had. And I'm going to stand by those. If you're the kind of person that is going to be so angry at a media source that you're going to give death threats to the, the people who made yeah. it, I don't like you, and I do not want to talk with you. You are not going to have an interesting discussion. And in having a discussion, I don't necessarily want to change your mind. I don't want you to change my mind. I just want to see your point of view, and I want you to see my point of view so that we can understand each other better. Um, and if you want to share that point of view... You can. 
We got ways to do it. What? Yeah. Ways to talk to Crazy. us? Crazy. Uh-huh. You can email us at reflectionsongaming at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Reflect on Gaming or Reflections on Gaming. And you can come to our Discord, which you can find on our Twitch channel, where you can talk to us in real time. That's right. We even have voice chat channels, so no one's gone to those yet. Yep. So if you have something to say, which, I mean, seriously, this, this is perfect fodder. Like, if you haven't ever said anything, now is the time. Now is the time. I mean, to conclude, before we finish things off, both Weston and I, Reflections on Gaming, think that The Last of Us is very close to a masterpiece. It is a unique experience that you cannot experience anywhere else in any other medium. Uh, and it should not be looked down on. And it wasn't. It got a lot of Game of the Year awards. It has its issues, and I hope that in the future games like this address those things, but this is a game that deserves to be talked about in a productive way. Yeah. And I think that's it. That's all for us. Thanks for for listening to this podcast, and if you enjoyed it, please share it with other people, other people who love gaming, other people you think that would be interested in what we've said that might even disagree and you think they might want to talk to us about it. You know, every... Every little bit helps, whether you're talking to us, tweeting at us, coming to our stream, sharing with other people, or just listening. Which, which, speaking of which, we stream every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, 7 to 9.30 Mountain Time. Uh, yeah, Reflections on Gaming, again, easy to find. Yeah, so if you're interested in that kind of thing. But really, uh, if you liked it, you know, do all those things. If you didn't like it... Um, and, and you want to let us know why, we're open to that as well. Uh, Indeed. Constructive criticism is nice. Constructive criticism is, is really nice. And you can even leave that through through reviews. If you don't feel like it's a five-star podcast, that's okay. Leave one. We'll, we'll listen. Not sure we think it's a five-star podcast. But if you do think it's a five-star <laughs> podcast, hey. Anyway, we're dragging on long. Uh, thank you for listening, and you'll hear from us again next week. Bye. Thank you.